Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Glove Podcast. My name is Gabrielle Love and I am your host. We're back with another psychedelic session. I am excited to enjoy the conversations that await us and I'm also excited to see where this conversation takes us. We've got an amazing guest with us today. Her name is Natalie and I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a few moments. Before I do that, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening for all the support and feedback. I hope you are all doing well wherever you are and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Natalie, welcome to the Glove Podcast. Thank you so much, Gabriella. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, psychedelics have been such an important part of my transformational journey, a part of it. There are many other aspects that have played an important role, but the work that I've done with them has been invaluable to get me to this level of beingness, this quality of experience of life uh, that I have today. So I'm excited to share more about that. Right on. That's awesome. Uh, did you want to take a moment or two to introduce yourself? Yeah. I mean, is there something specific uh, that you'd like to know beyond that high level intro? No, just whatever you feel called to share about yourself. Oh my goodness. <sighs> if I had to introduce myself, I'd have to say that my, my biggest passion is the art of transformation mm. because who I was as a person when I was younger is completely different than who I am today. It's still a, a part of my, my history, of course. But there was a point in my life when I realized that, that I have the capacity to influence how I experience life by understanding the process of experiencing life. So once you, you begin to understand how that process works, you can work with it so that you can make the inner changes required so that those changes are reflected in your external life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful transformation. I, I love that. That's uh, it's really funny that you use the word transformation specifically because I I live in a collective and uh, myself and and a few other housemates in in this uh, home um, we use that word quite a bit. So hearing you say that is. It's just really great for me because it it sounds like it sounds like me talking on the other end. <laughs> so I'm glad you can resonate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, on that note, transformation. Let's start there. How has plant medicine contributed to your experience of transformation in life or or that process? Ah, that's a very deep question. I find that so. There's one thing I want to that I want to say before diving deeper into that question. Mm -hmm. There's a word that I learned uh, quite a while ago through one of my readings that really stayed with me. And the word is entelechy. Mm -hmm. And entelechy is basically the uh, innate universal tendency for life to move towards a higher level of organization. So that's the more, uh, I could say, technical definition of it. But basically what it means is that Life is constantly evolving. You are constantly evolving, whether you know it or not. And the idea is that by learning about that process consciously, now you can actually accelerate that process of transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So with plant medicines, it's been, it's unlocked a whole other level of awareness mm -hmm. on what it means 
for the world to be made of energy, for us to, as energy beings, like what does that actually mean? So before I used to live more in the head, driving my life through decisions through the head, moving through life through my five senses. But I've come to realize that there's a sense of aliveness in you. If I ask you, are you alive right now? I assume you're going to answer yes. Mm-hmm. And then my question to you is, how do you know you're alive? Mm-hmm. And the very simple, the very simple matter of fact is you feel alive. Mm-hmm. Now, bec- by becoming more intimate with this sense of life within you, this energy within you, you can learn to turn it up and be feel more vibrant, or it can be turned down. Now, with the evolutionary process, there's a, there are natural ebbs and flows to it. Um, but through plant medicines, I've come to really connect more deeply with myself as an energetic being, like mm-hmm. as an integrated wholeness that is interconnected with the energy of life, right? And that energy of life guides me <laughs> through my days when I follow what, what resonates and when I'm aware of what doesn't you can learn to bring greater levels of harmony to your life. So that was that was uh, something very powerful that I learned through plant medicine, especially because it di- it, you dive right into that experience with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something else that's been very powerful as well is learning emotional intimacy mm-hmm. through plant medicines. Um, the thing with emotions is that they are – at the core, they are bodily sensations. Emotions mm-hmm. are felt through the body. Mm-hmm. So you can you can think about emotions. You can try and figure out what to do with your emotions. But at the core of it, because emotions are sensations in your body, all you need to learn how to do is how to allow those those sensations to move through you without contracting around them, which is our default response to emotions that we're not comfortable with. We'll contract around them. Mm-hmm. But there's a way of opening up to them. Like, and that, I'm trying to figure out a, a better way to articulate how to open up to them. It's you step into the state of receptivity, of curiosity, of presence without trying to change anything. And in that state, you can allow those sensations to move through you. So in ceremony, I have learned how to feel, whether it was feeling, you know, very challenging emotions, very challenging moments that absolutely tested every ounce of strength and courage that I had, that I have to actually get through that experience. Or on the other hand, there's also learning to open up to the true, like your potentiality mm-hmm. as a human being. Like once your limitations are temporarily removed within that plant medicine experience, you get a taste of yourself mm-hmm. that drives you forward through this transformational process, through the integration outside of ceremony so that you can learn to embody all of the magic and beauty and grace and and power that you and love that you innately have, but don't always have access to because you're cut off from those aspects of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, the first thing I want to say, it, it, what, what I'm finding very interesting about what you've shared there is that you've got very specific 
uh, processes that you're referring to and you're speaking on. So it's not just, you know, I've, I've journeyed with plant medicine and it, you know, my life is just better and, you know, it's really helped me and, and all this, that, that kind of a, a spiel. You're, you, you've really shared very specific ways or areas in your life or your experience of life that it has impacted, which I think is very interesting in it. And it's, it's exciting for me because I think that that's an indication that everything you're going to share is probably going to be very specific. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's great. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. T- tell us the story of how you met plant medicine for the first time you know what's that story and and how that kind of how that process unfolded and brought you to where you are now mm that's a fun story <laughs> so the story started probably in 2009 or so and the very first uh, plant medicine that I worked with uh, was mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I say I worked with plant medicines, I mean, at the time, I just, I was curious about psychedelics. Like, what what does that even mean? Right? So, at the time, it was a, it, it was a curiosity of what is that experience like? So, my first experience with mushrooms was, was with my partner at the time. We were at home, we had food, we had music, we had blankets, like, you know, like we set up a, a container for that experience. Mm-hmm. And it was so strange, like, oh, the walls are breathing and the colors are changing. But of course, that was my very first experience. The next one after that, that really opened my eyes to the power of psychedelics was uh, an experience on LSD. Mm-hmm. And what was so profound about that is that I spent... Much of my life before working with psychedelics, I was in a space where I was very judgmental, negative, um, very, very self-critical. Um, I had a sharpness to myself, a, a, a closed off way of being that left me feeling unhappy, <laughs> unhappy. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. But through that LSD experience, it was the first time I felt my heart absolutely burst open whether it was the music I was listening to or the way the sunlight was hitting the trees outside of the window or the way my partner's lips felt against mine, it was so evocative and beautiful that it really, it deeply imprinted me. Mm -hmm. So there was an interesting trinity of a process going on at the same time. As I began to explore psychedelics, I was also beginning to explore um, my mental and emotional processes through some cognitive behavioral therapy sessions. And at the time, I was also working with a a severe chronic illness. So learning how to change my diet (laughs) so that it it would help that illness, Uh, changing, changing things in my life so that it was a healthier environment for me. So that process continued from there. For the next few years after that, most of my psychedelic experiences were focused with mushrooms and LSD with the intent of discovering more about myself, discovering more about the nature of who I am, the nature of reality, things like that. Mm -hmm. But when things truly accelerated was when I had reached a point where I realized that, you know what, my intent is to grow through the use of these substances, the responsible use of these substances. But I'd reached a a plateau, a ceiling where it felt like 
there's, there's not much that these substances can offer me at this level of evolution. I'm ready for the next step. So there was one night where I, I meditated and I, I, I sent out a prayer to the universe and I said, I'm stuck. <laughs> I've reached a, I've reached a ceiling and I need your help to get further. Please show me the way and I will walk it, you know? And what was interesting is maybe a week and a half after that, I met someone at an event by pure synchronicity. And the topic of conversation, it was a very broad vortex conversation about all kinds of stuff. But out of the blue, I remember she looked at me and she said, have you ever done ayahuasca? (laughs) And when she said that, it was head to toe goosebumps. And I could feel that this this is the opportunity you've been waiting for. Because with uh, with other psychedelics, I was more... um, I was more open to uh, seeking them out myself and and working with them, but I I wanted it to find me when I was ready, and mm-hmm. here it found me. So this was maybe probably almost four years ago now, mm-hmm. and that really helped to deepen my own self work, my own integration process. Um, in a way, it's so profound. I'm not sure I can tr- I can <laughs> even truly unpack it and get and do it justice, but I'll do my best. So ayahuasca has been a big uh, influence on my journey. Mm-hmm. And the other psychedelic medicine that's been very impactful for me has been uh, 5-MeO-DMT. Mm-hmm. So now I'm at the stage where like, I went through a period of time with ayahuasca, especially where I was, I was having a ceremony, let's say at least once a month, going back, like go deeper, do more work, more expansion until again... <laughs> just like with mushrooms and LSD, I reached this point where I realized you're getting, you've gotten everything that you need out of these ceremonies. Every time you go back, you get the same messages. You need to take care of your body. You need to learn to speak your truth. You need to learn how to express yourself more openly. Like the same messages were coming through again and again. And I realized that I needed to take a step back from going to ceremony and instead bring more focus into the integration process. And I'd say for the past couple of years, that's where I've been deeply, deeply immersed. That is beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I'm not sure if you're done there if you, or if, if that's oh, the story. I feel story. good with that answer. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Can we just uh, go back for a moment? You said the the same messages kept coming up for you in your in your journeys. Can you talk a bit more about the the messaging aspect? How did the messaging or the messages show up for you in your journeys? Like, how were you able to discern an experience from a message in the experience? Mm, that's a great question. And the way that I would answer that <laughs> is I'd say that the experience is the message. Mm. Because if you're, of course, there's a level of interpretation of your experience. And that's, you know, it's, it's almost like make, make what you will of that message. It's almost like in the experience itself, I might have a moment of openness to how my body is feeling, for example. Mm-hmm. And in that, and in that moment, I might be feeling the fact that I spend so many hours a day hunched over a computer because that's part of my job or, you know, that's, that's, that's how I do my work. I'm hunched over a computer, but I'm, I, my body is telling me it needs to move more because I can feel tension. I can feel contraction, things like that. Or I might be, my body might be telling me, you know what? You've been drinking way too much coffee. 
Mm. Way too much coffee. Your heart is palpitating like crazy. Your nervous system is all out of balance. And what happens is in the experience, uh, in that moment, I can feel in my body how these choices are affecting me. And then in the way I interpret it, that's when it comes in like, oh, why is it that in my day to day, I feel so contracted, but in this moment, I feel so open. Could it be that I just spent the last hour moving my body, stretching my body, being with my body, loving and holding it tenderly and saying, I'm, thank you for taking care of me. And I'm sorry if I've been neglecting you. I hear you. I feel you. So then once the ceremony ends, <laughs> that's, that's when the true work begins because it's easy to go to ceremony and feel great in it and have the post-ceremony afterglow for a few days, a few weeks afterwards. But unless you take actionable steps to change what brought you to a place of contraction and tension and out of balanceness in the first place, then you're just going to end up in that same space over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so on that note, did the, the, the journeys themselves help you gain insight into what those things were, the things that were, you know, contributing to contraction? Like, for example, drinking too much coffee. Was that the kind of thing that would specifically come up during a journey or was that something, was that an insight that you came across in the integration process? No, that, that one, that one came to me in ceremony a lot. <laughs> just feeling the almost like the lack of strength in my body, my heart doing funny things. Like it's just um that experience, right? There's been a number of insights that have come up into ceremony. Some of the ones that I've been integrating recently include how to embody my my own power more. How to how to live in such a way that I am centered in my beingness. Am I taking the time to feel my emotions and to feel my body and to feel what I need? Am I able to express those emotions, express the truth of my experience, express what it is that I need to the people in my life? Yeah, it's interesting as you work through this process there, you start to become aware of all of these choices you're making in your d different dimensions of being physical, emotional, spiritual, mental. You start to become more and more aware of them. Mm -hmm. And how some of your choices will perpetuate suffering, right? Like if I don't move my body enough, then it contracts, then yeah. I get stressed out, then I get behind in life. So now I'm more stressed out. You see how it's a, it's a vicious loop, right? Mm -hmm. So then it's becoming aware of, well, you know, if you don't move your body enough, this is how you end up feeling. Once you have that awareness, and that's what's interesting about psychedelics is that they call you to own up to your self-responsibility. Because once you're aware of these choices that you're making, then another choice opens up. Either you continue to do what you've been doing that has not been working, or you do the work to make those changes. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that once you have that realization, it, it becomes easy. Like, oh, it's just the choice. I'm just going to make that different choice. There's layers of conditioning to move through. It's, it's a practice where you, a, a vacillation where one moment, like this happens to me so much these days as the process is intensifying. One day I am empowered goddess. I'm feeling centered and vibrant and alive and playful and loving and light. And there are some days where everything I'm working through comes crashing into my face and I'm presented with the opportunity to work with it until whoop, whoop, I can 
pop back into that higher expression of being, and then I might fall down again. But you see how there's a back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you begin to embody that higher expression of self for longer and longer periods at a, of time at a time. Mm-hmm. And if you fall down, that's okay. It's part of the process, but you don't stay stuck in it so long anymore. Mm-hmm. Before, something you might be stuck in for years now can take you a day. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I haven't been moving enough. I realize it. I take action. I'm going to go for a walk today or I'm going to dance for an hour. Boom, you're back into balance. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's almost like a kind of surfing. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So is there, a, this is maybe going in a bit of a different direction, somewhat related to this. You mentioned something about a chronic illness at, at some point. Are there specific things like that, that your working with plant medicine has helped you turn around? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so just to give some context. So mm-hmm. The, the, the illness that I mentioned is actually a quite a severe form of eczema. It used to be so much worse, like back in 2009 or so. I, I can't tell you the, the area of my body that was completely raw. Like mm-hmm. my whole face was raw. Like I, I, I could, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. I had it very severely. It's gotten better over the years. Now with plant medicines, I've come to realize that part of that contributing factor was like, it showed me that I need to keep my stress levels down, for example, Mm. because if there's basically through plant medicines, I've come to, to know that when I have flare ups like this, it's my body that's attempting to express something that I'm not allowing myself to express. Mm-hmm. whether it's stress that's trapped in the body that I'm not dealing with, or it's the words that are unsaid, or even just the acknowledging the truth of my feelings. Because I think that's something that a lot of us do is that we're going to have a feeling and we're going to try and talk ourselves out of it as to why it's not okay to have it. And there are responsible ways to express your feelings, of course, but the to acknowledge them to recognize and acknowledge them as they are and say that they're valid because I'm having the experience of this emotion. That's the first step in being able to move through them. Mm-hmm. So just by learning learning to express myself more openly, more truthfully, uh, with more presence, I've noticed that the eczema has significantly improved. Wow. And and that's like a, I mean, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It, it's a it's a beautiful example of, you know, potentially the reality of, of the way things work, the way things operate, the way our bodies operate, that our, our thoughts and emotions, the relationship between thought, emotion, sensation in the body, and then disease and illness and, and, you know, the way all of those things are connected. And if you, if you work on, understanding your body and those sensations that arise, then you can pretty much um, rid yourself of any of that discomfort that, you know, ends up showing up like maybe a flare up of uh, eczema. It's just a great example. Are there like on that note, are there other examples that um, are very inspiring for you that you'd like to share? Mm, Of something that plant medicines have taught me? Yeah. 
One of the biggest gifts uh, that I received from uh, 5-MeO DMT is I feel uh, a much greater level of peace about death that I didn't feel before. Mm. Because through that experience, it immediately annihilates all of your sense of being in this reality, who you are in this moment, what your circumstances are like, every frame of reference that you have to this reality here, right here, right now is absolutely just vanishes in the, in the blink of an eye. And then the question remains, when you take away everything that you, you know to be you or your life, what is left? And through that experience, I ended up in a space of, and this is almost going to sound cliche because there's so many people who have that experience with uh, the five, is that this, you end up in this space of oneness where you're everything, everywhere, past, present, and future, all at once, pure conscious awareness. And through that experience, how I've integrated that, to me, that experience is a way of priming of training your nervous system to be able to tune into that on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, I'm on my way to work, walking through the, the streets of my town and all of a sudden, whoosh, I am oneness, I am God. But there's a uh, an openness to a recognition of my innate interconnectedness with all of life. So it's almost like I'm the, the fish that can feel the water I'm in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was uh, that was deeply profound for me. Wow, that's beautiful. I'm uh, I ju- I'm just sitting with that description. So it's, it's <laughs> lovely, lovely. Um, for for the people that are listening um, who may not know what five e meo DMT is, can you talk a bit about what that is and uh, what the difference is between that and ayahuasca? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so the 5-MeO-DMT uh, has been found as a, as a secretion from a toad, the Sonoran Desert Toad, uh, I believe in the deserts of Colorado. Don't quote me on the specific location, but somewhere in the United States. And the secretions of that toad can be generally are smoked. Okay. All right. It's a very fine white uh, crystal powder. So that's, that's the five. There's also a synthetic version of it. I've had experience with both. They're very, they're very similar for me to the point where um, I'm an advocate of let's, uh, for those who are interested, let's start working with the synthetic version so that we can protect the population of toads. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a whole, that's a whole other tangent there. Um, with ayahuasca, it's a, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I'll, I'm going to just describe this to the best of my abilities. It's basically an, an Amazonian brew that's made with uh, two very specific plants. Uh, one of them that contains uh, DMT, mm-hmm. and the other uh, that's a it's called a Maui M A O I monooxidase uh, inhibitor, something along those lines. And what that means is that it prevents your stomach from immediately digesting the DMT allowing you to have that experience uh, that ends up unfolding. Right. Hmm. Neat. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Um, I, I don't, I don't want you to go on that tangent unless it's something that you want to go on. Um, but I, I would like to know, like it, similar to that, do you, do you have similar feelings around ayahuasca? Like is, are, are those plants in, in any way in danger um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking if you've got uh, an insight into that. From what I know, there is, there is some level, 
of endangerment, I would say, just in the sense that the popularity of ayahuasca has boomed, uh, especially in the past few years or so. So now um, there's a very large and lucrative tourist industry that was going to South America to, to enjoy these experiences. And because of that increase in demand, um, there's been some talk about, well, can we also sustain like the population of plants required to make th that level of brews, right? Now, of mm -hmm. course, um, there might have been some, I'm sure there's been some impact to that industry as a result of, uh, uh, of COVID, but I know that that's something that some people discuss, uh, the, the concern of how popu popular this is becoming. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, until you mentioned that, it, it's never really occurred to me. But um, now that you have mentioned that, I imagine that once you like once demand for it outgrows the, the actual number of plants or the number of people that that can make these brews to keep up with that demand. I, I can imagine how that would uh, would become a bit of a challenge. Is that something that you've personally thought about? I do reflect on that. I do reflect on that, especially because, and this ties into something else that I reflect on that's, mm -hmm. that's tied, tied into that is the, uh, the so-called psychedelic renaissance that's happening right now in mm -hmm. terms of all of the new research that's being done into MDMA assisted therapy, psilocybin assisted therapy. What concerns me is that if you look at the Western way of thinking, it's very much about like the quick fix. Right. It's about a quick fix, but we're also going about this without the acknowledgement and recognition of how interconnected we are. So when I think of the the capitalist system, it's like how do we how do we get in there and market it and make as much money from it as possible? So mm -hmm. I'm worried about that sort of thinking mm -hmm. becoming embedded with the use of plant medicines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's funny. I I was having a conversation uh the other day, well actually yesterday. So, I'm in Vancouver and uh there's a mushroom dispensary that opened up about 3 months ago in Vancouver. And so I went to go visit that with a friend of mine for the very first time. And it was very exciting for me. It was exciting for many reasons, like mostly because I think back to about a decade or 12 years ago and you know, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to imagine this being a thing. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that, you know, there it's, it's, it's entering mainstream. The thing that, you know, like in line with what you're saying that concerns me is that this, in this process of kind of introducing it into the mainstream as sort of like this shop that you go into and then you just get some candy or, you know, um, capsules or whatever. It excludes the, the shamans and the, mm -hmm. the, the indigenous people that have been facilitating these journeys for, you know, f for a very long time. It's just, it completely excludes them. And, and that's what concerns me the most. I, I love the idea of plant medicine becoming a bigger part of the narrative. I love the idea of it being more accessible. I love the idea of, you know, just more people becoming aware that this is, you know, these allies are here on this planet. Um, mm -hmm. And they have so much to offer us and, and they're offering it willingly. Um, but to do that 
while completely excluding the people that have been working with them for a very long time and, and have been, you know, caring for them and, and sort of been like stewards um, mm-hmm. to just like to just keep them out of that loop and out of that process is uh, disheartening. And it, it is. yeah, it, it brings up a lot of stuff for me. And so I, I, I don't know, you know, I'll be honest and, and say that I think it's likely that that is going to happen. Um, because that's, that's kind of been the, the track record so far. There isn't a whole lot historically that indicates that people have been included in the kind of like cultural traditions that, uh, you know, that they were stewards of. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's a sad topic. It's mm-hmm. a bit of a sad topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. It's disrespectful not to honor the history and the lineage behind that plant medicine. Like it's, it's almost as if we're taking these substances out of context. So we don't look at the history of them. Um, I feel that as these substances are coming out into the mainstream more and more, I don't believe that we have a, a balanced amount of support and resources available to help people to navigate these experiences. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's another component to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On that note, what, when you think about working with plant medicine, these allies, the journey, having this allyship be a part of uh, the journey in life, what are some of the things that you think? are important pieces of that process. So one would probably be the integration process, um, mm-hmm. the proper framework for the, the work to happen. So that might be the facilitator, maybe someone who guides you through the integration process. Just what what do you sort of envision as, I wouldn't say a package or <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> just pieces of this puzzle that are helpful and, and, you know, really contribute to the best outcome? Oh, that's a great question. Something that's, that's coming up that I, that I feel really strongly about is I feel like this is important for people to know, especially as they're opening up to this journey of working with psychedelics, mm-hmm. is the recognition of how subtly they can turn into crutches. Mm. So it's so subtle because as you begin to work with them, it's so exciting and expansive. And there is a certain way of thinking that I have experienced, that I see other people experience this thought process of, if I can do more ceremonies, if I can go deeper, if I can take more, then I will heal more. Mm. And that's not the, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true, right? You can have all of the experiences in the world, but these experiences only point to something. And that's the, for example, the, the potential of who you could become, but mm-hmm. you are the one that must take those steps to become that person. So in terms of what's helped me, there's, there's been a number of things like becoming more self-inquiry has been a big, big aspect of my integration work, really diving into my emotions, for example, learning to feel them, learning to express them in a healthy way. Um, diving into my thought processes and learning to recognize like which which ones are not serving me, which ones come from conditioned ways of being. If there's something, if there's a thought that comes up in me, I ask myself, is it true? Is it serving you? Can you change that thought? Is there something to look at here? So a lot of self-inquiry into thoughts. 
Uh, I've been doing a lot of embodiment work, like becoming more embodied in your experience of being, especially because our culture has severed us at the neck. Mm. And we're very head-centered beings. And our body, (laughs) I've heard this a number of times in my life where someone says, oh, my body is just something that carries my head around. (laughs) But actually, if you can bring your um, intellectual mind in connection with your gut mind, it's like a magnet. For example, if you take a magnet and you cut it in half, what do you end up with? Two pieces of metal. But if you put the poles of that magnet together, they form one magnetic field, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Together. So when you connect the mind in your head to the mind in, in your heart, the mind in your gut, that connection creates an electromagnetic field around you. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going on a tangent here, but other things that have helped me with the integration process, find people that you can share in that process with, Mm -hmm. that you can express yourself to, that you can feel seen with them, you can see them. Having a support network is important, Mm -hmm. even if you're just joining integration circles. There are so many books uh, out there that can help you understand what you're going through and how to work with it. Books are a, a huge part of my process. I'm an avid reader. <laughs> I would say those are some of the more uh, powerful elements that I've been working with that have been helping me with the integration process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. Thank you. Um, I, I had a thought uh, while you were sharing that. I was thinking about, well, basically it, it what occurred to me was that when I think about sharing things, um, whether it's, you know, experiences or stories or um, feelings, um, more often than not, it, it's just, you know, sharing for the sake of sharing. Sometimes I'm sharing with this, like through this lens of, I know that this experience, you know, specifically um, evokes this kind of uh, an emotion for me. And because I, I feel like this is an important thing to talk about. So I, I will then go and share that experience. I don't know if that made sense, but I'll give you an example. For example, if I'm dealing with insecurity around my physical appearance, and this is like an easy example, because that's something I have done in the past, I will then because I'm aware that that's something that I have you know, found challenging and also talking about it and, and kind of sharing those experiences and connecting with other people over it has been empowering and helpful and encouraging and, and maybe even guide, guiding in some way. Well, it has been guiding. So I'm sharing that and I then go out of my way to kind of share something because I know the value that I gained from, you know, being, being seen and heard with respect to that specific thing. So with that in mind, I I was just, uh, like, it occurred to me that sometimes when I'm asking questions in, in these episodes, I am asking questions because I know that I've had experiences where talking about those specific things or hearing other people speak about those specific things made a difference to me in my journey uh, with those specific, mm-hmm. you know, areas in my life. Um, and so I, I want to pose this question to you. What comes up to you? What comes up for you when you think about? if you kind of put yourself in my shoes, the the kinds of 
questions or a question or an experience that you feel the answers to would be empowering and encouraging to someone else listening because they they can either relate to the experience or they yeah they can relate to the experience or the experience they can resonate with the experience that's a very deep question something i can share that would resonate well what's the first thing that comes up i guess the first thing that comes up for me is uh, is is the nature of self inquiry mm. Like truly, truly digging into what is happening in your experience, like as a first step, just being able to become aware of what's happening for you, right? Because we spend so much of our lives uh, disconnected from it, not being aware of what's happening. So if I take, for example, the experience of uh, feeling insecurities with the body, if I look at my own experience with that, there's different areas to unpack. So for example, there are there are the thought processes, which can be a, lo- a lot buried a lot more deeply than you realize. It can be something like, well, if I don't wear this makeup or if I don't wear the right clothes, then I will be abandoned or I will be rejected. Mm-hmm. Right? You might not even you might not even notice that happening. You might what how that experience might come up is just this feeling of, oh, well, I have to put on my makeup. I have to. Well, then the next step is to ask, well, why? Why do you have to? Why is a very powerful question when things come up. Like, why does it have to be that way? But you, can, anyways, you can also get lost in the questions. Mm-hmm. So it's important to bring that. Yeah. How would I put this? There's a, there's a balance. There's a balance in self-inquiry. You want to ask enough questions to become more aware of what's happening for you, what's coming up in your experience, but you don't want to spend so much time in those questions and in those thoughts that you disconnect from your experience of it. Because if there's one thing that's been so powerful for me is, sure, I can examine the contents of my consciousness for the purpose of evolving. But what's more important is the consciousness itself. Right. So it's not so much about, oh, I had this thing happen in my childhood and that's why I have these thoughts that lead me to believe I'm not good enough. This is valid. But can you go into the feeling of not enoughness? Mm-hmm. Where are you feeling it in your body? What sensation is it? Does it have a color, a density, an intensity, a directionality, a texture? Where is it in your body? It's going to be a sense of contraction, of tension. So if I ask myself, Oh, I feel insecure. I feel insecure about my body. Let me imagine for a moment going out the door with just as an example here, like no makeup and like pajamas or something like that. Something that that's out of the ordinary for you. What comes up in your body? You might feel this contraction around the shoulders. You might feel a contraction in the belly. So you notice where the sensation is happening. Now the key is to let that sensation move through you. So if I use the contraction in the belly as an example, when you notice that contraction, don't focus on the contraction specifically because that's like trying to untie the knot by by poking at the knot. What you want to do here is focus on the space around the contraction because what that will allow you to do is to undo that knot of tension by allowing it to open up into the space around it. Mm-hmm. So what's most powerful for me right now is sure the contents of your journey are important, 
but bring even more attention to the somatic experience of, of what's happening for you, like what's happening in the body as you're feeling and thinking these things, because that's the key. If you can unlock it on that level of feeling, then the contents don't matter so much, right? Because if you can get to a space where I, I just had a great example come up. All right. So when I had, when I, when my eczema was at its worst, I had a patch of dr- of dry, like open skin, like right above my upper lip, really badly. So what I had to do is I had to go out the door every day with a big Band-Aid mustache. <laughs> I, I didn't have a choice with that. And I remember when I started doing that, because I had to, I felt so weird. I felt as if everyone was watching me. Everyone must be wondering what the hell is going on with my lip and all these fears swirling around. And I could feel how contracted my body was like, oh, everyone's looking at me. But the more I did it, the more I could relax into that contraction uh, until it became comfortable. And that particular insecurity went away. That's awesome. Thank you. I I had another thing come up uh, as you were speaking. This this is maybe this might feel like a bit of a an edgy question. Mm-hmm. Um, when <laughs> when kind of looking back at um, you know this entire journey for you with plant medicine from the moment you maybe the thought first occurred to you or you first came across it as an idea to where you are now. Are there things that you feel were mistakes you made along the way or things that you wish you knew then that you know now? And this could be related to the integration process. It could be logistics, like where it happened the first time or how the first few, you know, how one specific journey happened. Really what, like the reason I'm asking uh, for that is twofold. One, there are lots of people that, you know, are, exploring plant medicine or psychedelics for the very first time. And so they're going out and they're doing research and they're meeting people. And there, there are a lot of, you know, things that choices that we can end up making that are maybe um, not the best ones for us. And we just didn't know any better because we just weren't exposed to um, information that would have, you know, helped us make a better decision. Um, so that's one part of it. And the other part of it is also for the people that are listening that maybe went and, and made a choice and did something and, you know, then felt super bad about it. And that, that sort of attachment or the guilt and shame that they carried paralyzed them from further exploring it and, and going kind of deeper into it because they made one mistakes and now they just feel bad about it. So the, those are the two reasons why I'm asking that, just so you can you know, if there are things that you feel you can share of this journey that, in hindsight, more challenging than they, you know, at first to begin with. So, I mean, I'm blessed to say that my experiences have been relatively smooth. And what's helped with that is, as you said, doing research is important. Not only your own research, but see if you can connect with other people who are knowledgeable on the topic that can share their experiences with you. There's so many Facebook groups and you can find a a psychedelic integration therapist or books to read. There's a lot of resources out there. So you want to, if you plan on on working with a particular substance, you want to do as much research as possible. Mm -hmm. If you can, I recommend like truly to work with someone 
who, who knows how to either help facilitate that experience for you, for example, in a ceremonial context, or someone who can offer some sort of support through that process, working with someone is, is deeply valuable. And there are sub, some substance like ayahuasca, for example, I would not do outside of a ceremonial context, outside of working with people who know how to work with it, mm-hmm. um, because you need to understand what you're opening up here. All right. And that's just something to be aware of is your, these substances will help activate whatever is dormant in you <laughs> that needs to be addressed. So whether that is your, your potentiality, like yeah, here's the potentiality that you can activate in yourself, but there's also unhealed trauma. Mm-hmm. And if you're not prepared to work with what comes up, it can be not only deeply challenging, but if you're not careful, you can re-traumatize yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to work with any substance, start small, <laughs> start small and, and build your way up. Because again, this comes back to, oh, if I take more, if I do more, I will get more out of it. That's not necessarily true. You can work very effectively with even micro doses. <laughs> Just something, something gentle, right? Mm-hmm. For people who have gone through something and are feeling guilt or shame about it, what comes up for me is, you know, you did the best you could with the knowledge and experience that you had. And now you have different knowledge and experience, and now you can perhaps go about it a different way. So if you did it by yourself and it was too high of a dose and it was too much, again, (laughs) you didn't know any better at the time. Now you know better. So you can choose to work with someone with that substance, or you can take a smaller dose and do something different. The the guilt and shame are, are basically weighing you down at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's also the recognition that, you know, maybe your experience didn't go as you wanted it to go. Uh, you didn't get out of it what you wanted. There's no, there's no guilt or shame around that, right? It, it's a process. And they say that when you go into a psychedelic journey, you're not necessarily going to get what you want, but you're going to get what you need. Mm-hmm. So, and then it's also important to recognize that maybe you need to take a step back from working with these substances, right? Like if it's opened up a lot in you and you're, you're feeling guilt and shame around that, then you might need to take more time to integrate what's come up for you before you go on another journey. Yeah. I would like for you to touch a little more on integration. But before we do that, there was another question that I had, right? You, you'd mentioned microdosing uh, briefly. Is that something you have done yourself as well? Is there, is there anything you'd like to share around microdosing? Yes. Yep. I have experience with microdosing. I've microdosed psilocybin in the past mm-hmm. and I've microdosed LSD and I've microdosed some CBD as well. Mm-hmm. And it's been on and off. It's been really interesting. With psilocybin, for example, the last time I, I microdosed that was a few years ago. And it, mm-hmm. was, it was at a time in my life where when uh, work was very stressful for me, very, very stressful. And my nervous system was really feeling out of balance. Then whenever I took um, either the psilocybin or the cannabis at the time, the microdose was just enough to help bring my nervous system into balance so that everything else could flow smoothly Mm. with the intention that I am learning to bring balance to my nervous system through my own capacities. This is These are just like the training wheels of the process. Right. Because after working with them for, I don't know, two, three weeks, something like that, I naturally felt uh, a sense of completeness. So it's like, oh, all of a sudden I just stopped 
the microdosing. I just didn't feel called to it anymore. What I like about them as well, it's kind of like a, even if you do it once a week or less, it doesn't have to be every three days. But even just like, if you think of the world that we live in, it is not a healthy world for our nervous systems. We're constantly bombarded with the electromagnetic radiation of our devices. We live, you know, if you're looking at the media, there's constant like fear, fear, fear. Um, there's a lack of knowledge that people have to connect with others or to find their own power. So if you don't, there's a lot that's assaulting our nervous systems. And the way I look at microdosing is it's, it's a tool that helps to support me. Again, even if it's once a week, I'll microdose LSD. It gives, it helps bring that experience of balancing my nervous system when I need a little bit of an extra hand. So yeah. it, it opens up my creativity. It opens up my heart. It brings a playfulness, a joyfulness, a lightness to my experience. It's really beautiful. But I understand that those qualities are inherent to my experience of life. I don't need the microdose to tap into those. But the microdoses are helping me tap into those more and more of my with my own capacities, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That does make sense. Yeah. I personally found microdosing very helpful. And <laughs> it's funny. I did, that's what I have to share about it. Like I'm, I'm comparing that to your very first share during this episode where you had very specific things to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that says it's been very helpful. <laughs> I just love it. Um, yeah. I'm very wordy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's great. <laughs> There's, yeah, no, microdosing is definitely it's a part of my life. It, it's helpful. I, ironically, I've I've had the tendency, and and this is something that I'm I'm really leaning into now, with, like more with more conviction. I think with greater conviction, is that I don't need as much as um, maybe the average person tends to microdose with, and and even with uh, journeying. I'm very in tune with the, the kind, like the interaction of, of different substances in my body. And so even just a tiny bit, uh, I will notice mm -hmm. it. it. It's very noticeable for me. And so like when I microdose LSD, it, it's essentially like maybe 0.5 milliliters, sometimes 0.2. And, and recently I've, I've been trying to experiment a bit, but yeah, I, you know, I'm not nearly as wordy as you are. <laughs> nearly as wordy That's as you okay. are. It's just it it I'll I I will say this much. Specifically with LSD, the highest impact it microdosing has on me is it really deepens my my sense of assertiveness. Um mm -hmm. that like being assertive and really just asserting my needs and my wants is something that at one point in my life was very, very difficult. And then after some time, it became this thing that I was making a conscious effort to get better at. And so though it got easier and easier, it still felt like I had to make effort. I, I, I you know, it, it still felt like I was lifting weights while mm -hmm. doing it. Like it, it still really felt strained and I'm still working those muscles. And I find that when, when I microdose LSD specifically, that is very, very easy. And, and just having experiences um, where it is a lot easier, I think for me has convinced my brain that it's easier than, you know, it used to be. And so now yes. when I'm not microdosing, my brain has something to refer back to 
as an experience of being assertive, not being all that difficult, and just kind of being able to do it. Yes, that's an excellent way to put it. It's through these experiences with psychedelics, it literally helps to download and imprint new experiences into your nervous system mm-hmm. so that, as you said, you can refer to them in, in your day-to-day life. It reminds me of, I, I spent some time doing some body weight workout training mm-hmm. with a trainer specifically a few years ago. And when we were, when I was learning how to do pull-ups, he would tie a resistance band to the bar so that I could put my foot in it and then do the pull-ups. So, of course, the goal is to get to a place where you can do pull-ups without the resistance band, mm-hmm. but it, that exercise helps to prime the muscles and the nervous system to be able to do it in the first place. So, that's how I, that's the perspective I hold uh, about working with psychedelics is it's not the be-all and end-all goal. It's, mm-hmm. it's part of the process to get to a place where, you know, this feeling of openness, open-heartedness, uh, of love, of compassion, of grace and power, assertiveness, being able to create uh, a different life for yourself, all of these things, psychedelics can help with as a tool, but it's important to always recognize them as tools. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's, it's you that needs to do the work. You need to make those changes and move forward with the insights that you get. But (laughs) when used responsibly, they're tools. Mm -hmm. They're tools. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really funny. Um, Like This is something that came up for me as I'm listening to you. Um, you I think about sort of my journey in life and, and, you know, first, like I kind of, you know, discovered meditation and, um, you know, well, I, I spent some time learning about different religions and that kind of thing and, and then discovered meditation and then, you know, and then psychedelics. And, and there are just these different periods in my life where I discovered something and I'd go into it, um, you know, more often than not with this perspective that, oh, I think I just found the thing. I found the thing for me. <laughs> and I, I dive right in. And it becomes, you know, part of my life. And, and then, and then after a while, it no longer feels like the thing. And there's some, and then I go back into seeking mode. And then I find this other thing and the same kind of like dynamic plays out or of, oh, you know, meditation, this is the thing for me. This is it. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm looking back now and and I realize that, you know, that's happened a number of times and, and now here we are and uh, psychedelics, I'd say probably has the longest track record. Well, I guess it's on par with meditation, but it's got the longest track record in, in my life of kind of like having stuck around. But I was thinking about, you know, what will my relationship with plant medicine or psychedelics look like in 20 years? And, and as you were speaking, it like, it occurred to me that, you know, knowing the track record of my life, if, if I kind of just look at the past, you know, it's likely that it's not going to feel as much of, you know, the thing in 20 mm-hmm. years as it does now. And just kind of like sitting with that for a moment. And thank you for sharing that because it, it brought this thought up for me. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just sitting with that, it like, it adds the spaciousness to my, mm. my experience uh, of psychedelics currently, you know, because I, I was, I was, I think up until this moment, um, trying to figure out what it would look like for me to kind of deepen 
my relationship with plant medicine and also broaden, you know, it's like the reach of that relationship in my life. And, and that's because, you know, I feel love for it and, and I want to be of service to it and, and, and give as, as I've been receiving from it. And just now I'm like, now it's kind of like this new possibility has arrived. And the possibility is simply that, you know, for me, what that leaves me with is may this unfold in the best way possible for everything involved, for all the kind of like living, living beings involved. And then, you know, may it, may it unfold into something else <laughs> whenever that time comes and that's okay. And yeah, you know, like, cause, cause, you know, some of the things I've thought about is, you know, maybe I'd like to facilitate ceremonies or do things like that. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds really great. And I'd, I'd love to be of service in that way. And now there's this mm. new possibility that, you know, maybe, maybe in 20 years, that's not actually something that is in, in alignment with um, my journey in life. And that's just based on like the, the past history of my life where I dive into something, I really explore it and, and, you know, I, I become one with it. And then when that flower has bloomed, I, I start planting a different seed altogether and, and, and I start working on another seed. So it, it's just interesting what that brought up for me. It really like opened me up to shifting my perspective around what I was, I was trying to kind of like anchor into my life in, in terms of like what this unfolding is going to look like for me. I love that so much. I can I can <laughs> relate so deeply to what you just said mm. because I went through that phase too of oh you know maybe I can facilitate ceremonies or you know I had that thought process mm -hmm. and I remember especially at the peak of how often I would work with these substances. I remember hearing the quote from Alan Watts that said, "When you get the message, hang up the phone." <laughs> and I could, I could appreciate that, me that, that message, mm -hmm. but it didn't resonate with me. Like, how could I ever tire of working with these substances and having these experiences? Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, it just, it just happened for mm -hmm. me where mm -hmm. once I, I ended up with this feeling of completeness at some point, this recognition that, look, these experiences were beautiful and have served me so powerfully, but now is the time to do my own work, mm -hmm. right? It's not, I want to get to a place where I don't have to go to ceremony to purge my emotions because I'm doing that on a regular basis, mm -hmm. or I don't have to go to ceremony to remember to move my body because it's part of my life. Mm -hmm. So there was this natural sense of, completeness with that, where I might have a ceremony once a year now, when it does call me, when I have been, see what happens now with ceremonies is I'm going to do my own work, my own work, my own work, the integration process. Then I've, there comes a point where I've uncovered so much inner material that it's almost like I'm staring at it. It's mm -hmm. all laid out in front of me and I can see all of these components that I'm working with. This is part of my conditioning. This is what I want to bring in. This is what I want to change in my life. And it's almost like this feeling of stuckness so that then when I go to ceremony, it's like a big clearing of all of the debris that's preventing me from stepping into a higher expression of being. 
that was my intention with my very last ceremony with uh, Cambo and, and, and 5-MEO. It was in my intention prayer. I said to the medicine, I need your help with a reset. Not because I expect you to do the work for me, but through the energy that's liberated in that reset, I can take actionable steps to step into that higher expression of being. It's like, hey, I need your help here, <laughs> right? But outside of that, I don't feel called at all to working with these substances because you reach a point where your whole life starts to feel like a trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the intensity of the transformational process gets more, more intense, more accelerated. It, it touches you on a deeper level mm-hmm. to a point where w- what comes up in daily life and how you're working with it now more masterfully, mm-hmm. that's enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's enough. And it, and it feels good, right? It reminds me of this podcast I heard yesterday that talked about how life comes in chapters and stages. And with each chapter of your life, there's a a limbo phase where you're not sure who you are and what you're doing and where you're going. So that's the, the phase where you pause and you stop and you feel out what your next chapter is going to be. Then there's a a starting phase, a middle phase, an end phase. But that's how I'm looking at it for psychedelics as well. Mm-hmm. Right. It was this incredible long chapter with them. And now I feel as if I'm more in the ending stage. Mm-hmm. Right. I've yeah. gotten what I needed to get here. Mm-hmm. There was something you touched on there. Um, and then again, uh, something else that, uh, you know, came up for me during your share and, and it, it ties into something you shared about that being enough. I think the, the other part of this is that, you know, we don't have to turn our experiences in life into specific things that we will then do uh, with them. Like, and, and that, like in the context of, you know, um, being of service or, or turning that into something that we are then passing on in some way. So if, if we look at plant medicine journey, you know, say someone named Alphabet, you know, gets an introduction into the plant medicine world, starts journeying, you know, it has a huge impact on their life. There, there are all these beautiful things that, that come out of that experience. And then they now feel compelled to, continue to make this a part of their life in, in like in, in some way so that they're continuing to kind of, uh, be a part of the plant medicine world by either facilitating or, you know, sharing as much about it as possible or just, just trying to give it some sort of identity and place in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, absolutely great i think if that's if there's an organic unfolding for that then that's absolutely great if there isn't an organic unfolding and we're you know we're not necessarily organically um, moving in that direction we don't have to steer ourselves in that direction because the truth is that everything that we have to give um as a result of all of the experiences that we've had in our lives, um, we're already giving. Uh, we're mm-hmm. giving it in in the way that we live out our day-to-day. We're giving it in the way that we perceive ourselves and each other. 
Um, we're giving it in the way we move through life, the way we process things. We're giving it in, in every interaction that we have. It, it basically our, you know, our entire life and our bodies embody these experiences. And so we are by default giving. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. of these experiences and of ourselves. We, we don't have to steer ourselves in a particular direction when we have these experiences um, in order to facilitate that giving because the giving is already taking place. Um, yes. And, yeah. and um, as well, what, what you said reminded me of something in that there's a, there's a honeymoon phase with mm -hmm. psychedelics. Yeah. So it, it could be that you are someone that's going to become a psychedelic integration therapist, or you're just going to share your experiences with public talks, or you will facilitate ceremonies. You might be called to that. But I think it's important to keep an open mind that how you can contribute your gifts to the world might not be directly related to psychedelics, or it might be something you don't even know about right now. You might have a specific vision in mind of, yes, this is what I'm going to do. When in actuality, the way that your life is going to unfold is going to end up being something completely different. Mm -hmm. So it's about, sure, you can, you can have a vision, but don't be so rigid with it that you can't flow with your life and see the opportunities that are showing up for you because they might lead you in a different direction. Mm -hmm. It's like knowing how to pivot through that sensing of that, that knowing of, oh, this is calling me. I'm going to follow this for a while or, this is calling me. I'm going to follow that for a while. And then eventually you're going to get a more concrete idea of how it is that you can bring your gifts to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. This has been a great conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. And, and I'm walking away with at least two insights that, um, yes, <laughs> are I'm so happy. redirecting <laughs> my life, just kind of reorienting myself. Um, uh, yeah. So thank <sighs> you for that. You're Do welcome. You, yeah. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to part with? Any final thoughts I'd like to part with? Honestly, the, just the last thing I'd, I'd like to say to bring everything to a closure is the sharing of my excitement of the collective shifts that these substances can help potentiate as individuals who are working with them are shifting themselves. So yes, I feel like we're in a, in a beginning stage of truly learning to become intimate with them, to work with them, to apply them to our own personal transformation process. I'm very optimistic in terms of how this can help shake us collectively so that we can help create a better world, right? Through our connection with each other and those that, those that have had those experiences and how we can provide a space for those who may not have worked with psychedelics. It's like, how do you help them connect to love, connect to their power, mm -hmm. things like that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Right now, where, where I am currently, I feel like I have witnessed so many shifts. There are a lot of shifts that I think have happened. And I'd like to think that those are all indicators that these shifts are happening and they will continue to happen. And uh, it, yeah, I hope that these collective shifts that you refer to are happening. <laughs> I think so. Because if we think of the interconnectedness of all life, like none of us are separate from anything else, as we shift ourselves as individuals, that helps to shift the entire energetic equation of the collective. So you might not feel like you're really making any changes in the world because you haven't figured out what your gifts are. It doesn't matter. By virtue of your shifting, 
it's shifted the whole balance of everything. Aho. Yeah. Aho. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Natalie. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me, Gabriella. I appreciate it. My pleasure. <laughs> another psychedelic session with Natalie. Ooh, hope you enjoyed that. A lot was said, a lot was shared. I sincerely just hope that for those of you listening, that you gained something, that you benefited from that conversation. That's all I really hope for when I'm having these conversations. And also selfishly, I hope. I mean, ideally, I have a good time, and ideally, I also enjoy the conversation, and ideally, I also benefit from it. And the guest in this case today, it was uh, Natalie. She benefits from it as well. So actually, you know, I've got to say, many of the things I do are for selfish reasons. Many of them are. They truly, truly are. And, you know, I think at one point in my life, that was a difficult thing to say and now as edgy as that may sound to some uh, folks it's uh, it's the truth many 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 most of the things in my life that i you know participate in in some way are for selfish reasons even if uh it seems like it's a selfless act or you know it's something that's that's um, that i'm doing for someone else or out of compassion for someone or something or I'm doing it to hold space for someone else even in those acts of giving or in the acts of selflessness even then um, I'm actually just being selfish um, not just being selfish you know you know what I mean I I am being selfish those those acts are also selfish and, and I say that not because it's a bad thing I mean, the word selfish, you know, it's got this connotation that it, it's a bad thing. It's painted in this negative light. You know, it, it's really not. I'm a human being and, you know, I'm navigating this mystery called life. And half the time, I, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what anything is. And, and some days I, or some moments, I think I know what I'm doing and I think I know what things are and, you know, I know what a banana is and I eat it. And, and sometimes I have no idea what any of the things are that I thought I knew. That said, you know, I'm doing the best I can, having a good time. And in doing that, sometimes the thing that I am doing or the thing that I am being happens to be a good thing for someone else. It happens to be a good thing for the space that I'm in. It just so happens that someone else is benefiting from it. You know, this podcast, it just so happens that other people are enjoying it or other people are benefiting from it, you know, and it also just so happens that it's just as beneficial for me. It's just as much a gift for me as it is to you. I gain tremendous value from these conversations. I gain tremendous value from connecting with people. You know, there's something meaningful connection that is just very fulfilling for me and feels really good and is comforting and creates a space for me to feel loved and held and witnessed and all of these things. And so all of it, all of that was a long winded way um, of me saying that 
most of the things I do are for selfish reasons, whether I'm aware of it or not. Because, you know, I want to be happy and I want to feel loved. And that's really what it all boils down to. Everything is an extension of, uh, of wanting to be loved and then wanting to connect. And yeah, you've been, you've been giving. People have called me generous, I don't know how many times. And, and you know, for, for a very long time, I thought this is the longest outro by the way, the longest outro. I just realized that this is supposed to be, it's not supposed to be that this is an outro to this episode. It's turned out to be more of a monologue. Um, where was I going with this? So people call me generous and then they say, oh, you're so generous and, and so on. And for a very long time, I would kind of just negate it and then deflect and like many other you know compliments that people have thrown my way. But I realized over time that actually, you know, my intention of deflecting some of that isn't to say that I'm not those things or, or that what I'm doing isn't a wonderful thing. It's really just to say that when I give, I'm receiving in that process. I am receiving when I give. Like I, it, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's as much of a gift and a blessing to me as it is to the person on the other end. And so like generosity is like generosity that's extended outwards towards others is also generosity that extends, you know, back to myself. It, it's a reciprocal um, process and it's automatic. And so every time I give to someone else, I'm not just giving to them. I'm also giving to myself. And so I receive. And so I can't really claim hundred percent credit for the generosity that's present or for, you know, the experience of receiving something that's present because, or being on the, you know, giving end of things because I'm also receiving I don't know how we I got to talking about that, but this was a really great episode. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you understand. And for whatever reason, I'm feeling like emphasizing this today. I hope you understand that as much as you gain from this conversation and any of the other conversations and the other episodes, I am also gaining from them. I'm also humbly receiving, humbly learning, humbly feeling uh, blessed and grateful and feeling like a gift has been given to me. And so there's just a lot of giving happening. There's a lot of giving going around, lots of gratitude going around in every direction, going out in every direction, coming back in from every direction. I hope that you can feel that space too. I hope that you can live in that space too, even if just for a moment. I hope that you can lean into that because gratitude is a beautiful thing and feeling blessed, feeling cared for, taken care of is a beautiful thing. Anyway, I think this is a prompt for me to actually do an episode where it's just me rambling on uh, because clearly it seems like I need to do a bit of uh, a bit of rambling. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope this breaks the world record for longest outro ever and yeah, see you next time on the Glove Podcast.